Welcome to tonight's cheer, which is uh, sponsored kindly by Reb Pinchas Rabin and his wife. They had a uh, granddaughter born to their daughter, Adel, and her husband, David Vishaya, in Morristown, family Sirkind. And um, the babe was born perhaps Thursday night, but Nikroshmov uh, Yisrael Shana. So wish them Mazel Tov, lots of nachas from them and all their family. Also, it's close um, of um, Chaim Shmuel Mendel and Chana Rezel for Shlema. I got the name slightly wrong last week. That's um, Michael Rabin, Shlema for Shlema. Here you have a week of a sort of service. Let's start. So... Someone asked me at the beginning of the week, Baruch Hashem, he's recovered from an illness. And he would he was thinking about making a sort of shaydor, and he's asking, does it has to have to be fleshik, etc., um, with Mahamoitsi, etc. So in all honesty, the there are not very clear guidelines in Halacha for what's called a Sudashaidor, how to, to do it. And in the Sefer Piskei Shuvas, in the Simon Reish Yud Reish Yud Tess, somewhere around there, just near the Birchas Hagoimel, so he has there a bit of discussion about it. But he comes, he brings a, a very interesting. He gives a reference to this Sefer Talbus Chaim, not a Sefer I've met before. He has a very interesting idea that like we see that. Regular carbonus, so you've got different levels. Let's discuss it a little bit. You've got different carbonus, which are called kodshe kadoshim and kadoshim kalim. Kodshe kadoshim would be the more sacred ones. They were only be, uh, if if they were eaten. The carbonus is not eaten at all, but the carbonus etc. is eaten only by the kohenim, only in the confines of the azor of the of the courtyard of the beis hamikdash. Kadoshim kalim are typically um, permitted to be eaten all over your shalim, and they can be eaten also by Yisraelim, etc., men, women, etc. But here's interesting a, cor- a regular korban shlomim, you'd have two days to eat it today and tomorrow, and the night in between. Korban toido, which is given when a person had an experience for which he wants to eat, or he needs to give thanksgiving. So it would be limited to Yom Valailo um, just the today and the Sunday, let's say, and Sunday night. But he wouldn't be able to have any of it on uh, on Monday morning, Monday day. So the time span, the shelf life of a Corbin Toido is much shorter. On top of it, the Corbin Toido is accompanied by 40 loaves of uh, um, Lechem, 30 of which were Matzo, ten of which were chometz, but actually the volume of the chometz ones was equal to three of the matzo ones, which attenuates. It's a, quite a lot of bread to go through, and the shelf life of the accompanying bread is the same as the korban, which means you've only got to the day and the following evening. But not nothing, anything which left till the following morning has to be destroyed. So, so he quotes from before Shem. Why did Hashem 
make the carbon toida, why the decrease the carbon toida should be a shorter time span, that is in order that you should have, because you've got a lot of meat, a lot of bread, and you're going to have to have a lot of guests to your party. So that's the point of the carbon toida, is to, to encourage more people to be aware and to be in the Thanksgiving or, um, uh, on, on for the occasion. Which just, by the way, brings me to, there's a discussion, also the Rebbe has it in, in letters, whether Halil is the Deraise or the Rabbonon. And this, although generally we say Halil is one of the seven mitzvahs, the Rabbonon, as a Svara to say that the Abishtah made the miracle so that you should say Halil. And therefore, in a sense, to say that our poskim would say that Halal would be a derais. Hashem made something, a, a special event, a special happening, so that you should say, uh, that you should praise and thank Hashem. All right, let's move on. So there's no set number, if that's okay, coming back to the question. Is there a set amount of guests you have to have for a carbon for a, for a Suda Sedor? No. But the, the spirit of the idea is the, the, the more the better. Let's move on. So, someone's asking me about saying Rufua Shlema on Shabbos. So let's go. Let's, and the, the, these are there's two questions here. One is about praying for someone who's ill, and one is just a, a wish. I expressed a wish to you, Rufua, to, to whoever it may be, Rufua Shlema. So now we we'll go back to the Gemara. And it says one who one who visits a, a person who's ill should say the following Shabbos he milizoik it's a Shabbos and we will therefore refrain from crying out or a full the healing is coming um, is close to arrive. Rebbeir says that the merit of Shabbos itself will be a cause for mercy. Yehuda says. A person will say, may the omnipresent have mercy on you, amongst other Eden who are uh, suffering illness. It seems to be identical to Rabbi Huda. Shevna Yisraelim says, when you come in, you say Sholem, and when you leave, you say Shabbosim Elizak, or Kreyofu, or Kreyvalovoi, where Racham of Merubin, Hashem's mercy is abundant, the shifts to be Sholem, and uh, rest, enjoy the tranquility of Shabbos peacefully. Now, this does not seem to be a form of prayer. This seems to be more a social. You're visiting someone who is unfortunately unwell, and you are expressing you're empathizing, and even in this, there seems to be the restrictions of, of um, saying Rufua Shleim. Now, we'll go now to the Shulchan Aruch. This is in Simen Reish Zion, where it says you are allowed to visit the ill on Shabbos, but you should not, you should not plead for mercy for them, as you would normally say. Now, but in case you think this is only about prayer, but read the next few words. Through your expressing your um, pleading for mercy for them, that will arouse um, um, crying 
and pain. I don't know whether that means for the patient or that means for the for the person who's davening for them. But either way, it's kind of when you have a thought and you then you express it bedibur, so in, in, in words, then it arouses a greater emotion, and that's not an appropriate emotion for Shabbos. And instead, you should speak to them in a kind of comforting way that they shouldn't feel pain. And that's where we have this phrase, Shabbos himilizoik and the Shabbos krovalavoy. So you, you kind of comfort them that Shabbos is a day where we don't cry and we look forward to healing coming quickly. Having said that, then he says, also the chazan, the bagabin, the shul, when he makes a mishabeirach, should not say the regular form, the hamochim yishlach rather Shabbos himelizek rufuah kreivalavai, which is indeed the minhag we have in the Siddur, two nusachois for mishabeirach, a Shabbos one and a weekday one. But what I'm seeing here, it seems to be that even on a social level, also the wishing rufuah shleimah, um, seems to be restricted. Although I'm, I'm, I must say, I did look around to find something um, clear cut, and I didn't find anything to anyone to say that mamish clearly. As I'm on this topic, I'm looking at the Mishabeirach, which is printed in the Alter Rebbe Siddur, by at a bris, and in the Mishabeirach it says, "Hakadosh Baruch Yishach Loi Meheir Rafur now, there's no distinction in the Siddur whether it's a Shabbos bris or a weekday bris. So the impression is that you say this Loshan on Shabbos also, which the Shar HaKoyl of the Rebbe's uh, ancestor, in his, he says, he says that that's because until the third day after the bris, the child is not begad a Choyl, it's not defined as ill, and therefore it's okay to say Rafur Shleim. Interesting. What is also though, worth um, pointing out, that this Mishabeirach in the Alter Rebbe Siddur was only introduced in the Siddur, which was printed three years after his passing, in Tovkov Einvav, the Siddur Imdach. It was printed by the Middle Rebbe. Whereas, in the Siddur, which was printed in Bechai, which we now have a copy, um, presumed to be Shklov, Tovkov Samar Gimel, the Mishabeirach is not there. In other words, the Siddur, the, the procedure for a bris is there, but the Mishabeirach is not there. Therefore, it weakens a little bit the, the you know, the, uh, the proof from it. We'll, we'll go on to a little bit further on this same topic, and that is in the next simon. That was Reish, um, Reish Peizai, and this is Reish Peiches talking about. Uh, first, about talking about a person fasting if they had a bad dream, and then he says about saying vidu on Shabbos. So you are allowed to say confessional prayer on Shabbos, and the it's only not to tachnunim supplications to ask for your needs, provision of your needs for parnosa, etc., or a full achoyle that you that you shouldn't be saying that on Shabbos. But re expressing remorse for sins, that's that's fine every day. I don't know the answer. If you're going to ask, why then do we not say it in Krishna Shalamita? I don't know the answer. I don't know, and I didn't do research just now either. So I might 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 be something written very clearly. He goes on to say there that 
if the person if the person who you wish to pray for is a cholim is in life is in danger, and then you are allowed to pray for them on Shabbos. And that may be done even with Sibur. And similarly, a woman who's struggling to give birth, and therefore there's an imminent danger, so you could daven for them on Shabbos. If there's a person who's ill, but there's not an imminent danger, then you wouldn't be allowed to daven for them on Shabbos. Not to say in the normal form, because it can be done later, after Shabbos. So that's why, in other words, Shabbos with saying the, the regular, like the weekday Nusuk. But to say, as we do, Shabbos Himilizak, that's obviously okay. Then he says, what happens if on Shabbos something happens, an event happens, which is warrant asking for Rachamim, so then you can do so um, but not with Sibur. Okay, let's move on. So I got this question from a shliach in Ukraine and the government there are looking for more soldiers and cracking down on people who are uh, dodging the draft. And the Shaliyah himself is an American citizen, Israeli citizen, whatever. But, you know, he's, he's, you can be stopped in the street, show me your documents. And if you don't have any documents to explain why you're not in the army, then they'll tell you to get into the car and they'll take you to the draft office, whatever it may be. And uh, you'll have you may have to stay there until until uh, the end of Shabbos, or whatever, or till documents are brought somehow. So it's not a, obviously not a pleasant experience. So therefore, he's asking, would it be permitted for them to carry their documents with them? So at this stage, uh, I, my feeling was it's not a question of a danger. It may be a question of discomfort and every every sympathy for that but i didn't see it as a danger and therefore i felt that they shouldn't be carrying their documents with them but going back in history there were times where it was actually imperative that you had documents with you identity uh, documents and if not they would if you were caught without uh, identity uh, documents would be imprisonment or a, a, a substantial penalty so this was discussed over here in the Piskechuvas he brings from Sforim from back in the day. And they would allow people to go out on Shabbos with their documents and carrying it in an unusual manner, as in inside their hat or under their vest. Um, so it's it's carried, but not in a normal way. The reason why they allowed this was, because, number one, relying on the fact that in the smaller towns we would say we don't have because we don't have 600,000 regular users that's good for a smaller town which um, they exist today also yeah but this is Shabachar in the larger cities but on the other hand I understand the larger cities this business of um, stopping boys in the street is less of an issue in the, uh, currently that's so number one because the street is not a and number two you're carrying it to Kalachiyad, therefore it's also drabonum and to say that you don't really need the documents with you it's really just to ward off the the drafters etc uh, others are not so happy about that so the um, bottom line is if it were a danger or a risk 
under danger, if it were a risk of imprisonment because of not having documents, then there is room to permit having the documents on your person in an unusual way, in an unusual manner. So someone asked me during the past week to clarify whether at a Kiddush, do all the cakes and rugelach and um, a whole variety of crackers and pretzels, do they all need to be covered when Kiddush is made? So let's, got. we have here two interesting quotes from the Kitzah Shechanar. I'm going to read the second one first. This is in Simon, uh, in Kitzah Shechanar, Simon Ein Zayin, Hilchus Shabbos. And he says, when you make Kiddush, well, the, a Shabbos meal shall have two loaves of bread, two, two whole loaves. Similarly, when you make Kiddush uh, Shabbos morning, and you're not having, you're just having a moment, just having some uh, cake, etc. So you should have Shtayim Shleimus, you should have two whole ones. And he says, Kain Ro'isi Eitzel Godel Echad. Interesting um, source. The Kitzel Shechanor from Shlomo Gansfried said he saw a Godel Echad who would on Shabbos, he would take two pieces of cake to, yeah, for, for, for Lechem Mishnah. And we saw this by the Rebbe, that by the Fabrengans, they would prepare a tray, a silver tray, uh, like a balls type of tray, which was piled high with pieces of uh, very fluffy marble cake. And the Rebbe would take two pieces uh, and, and a napkin and have that next to him, which he would have for having you know, a Kiddush B'Makim Suda. Um, now, of course, the Kiddush Renorch talks about Shlemos, whole ones. Do slices of, of cake count as Shlemos? Probably not not strictly, but if that's what you have, so you can, you'll, you'll make do with that. It may be better if you have crackers available to take two crackers, even though they're less than a kazai's. eyes. Yeah. Um, it just comes to mind that in, there's a safer called Charlie Tsioin from Rebbeir Lazarov. He was a Rebbeir in Yerushalayim. I met him in his very old age. And he was a Rov during the mandate British when the British mandate had hidden Yiddish boys in, in prison and he has an article there Chuva, whether uh, slices of toast can count for Lecha Mishnah so you had the Yiddish boys in the British prison and they had a way of getting toast would they be able to use two slices of toast for Lecha Mishnah it's not for today's discussion so let's come back our main discussion here is do you have to cover the Mazinus so now <clears throat> back to the, the earlier quote on the page, and that's in you know, the Dinim of Kiddush, in Simonai and Zion in the Kitzah, he says that in the morning where you make Kiddush and have some Mazonis, it should be covered for the time of Kiddush. So one of the reasons why we cover the Chalas is because really, if you have a in the weekday, if you have a wine and, and Mazonis, which comes first, the Brocha should be on the grain before the wine. And here we're making Brocha on the wine before the grain. So there's a bit of a disgrace to the to the Mazonis. So for that reason, we covered it. Well, that reason, that logic applies to, to cake as well as to bread. So now the next quote we have here is from the Shmir Shabbos Kilchosa. And he's saying where you if you have several families around the table, and if each balabos, let's say, is making their own kiddush, well, you don't have to have everyone else cover their chalas when one, one of the people are making kiddush. 
he covers his chalas, but not everyone else has to cover them at that time. And imagine you have family sitting, someone comes in 10 minutes late. Uh, okay, makes Kiddush, very nice, but does everyone have to cover their, their chala? And the answer is no. But then he says, if one is making Kiddush for, for everyone, then all the people's chalas should be covered, even if they are at separate tables. Okay. So that's what he writes in the Pnim, in the main text. In the footnotes, he brings, he quotes, this is he's quoting from the Sefer River, Ephraim. And then he takes it a bit further, not only by people sitting around for a Shabbos meal where you talk about chalas, but also in a, a Kiddush and a Shashul where you have Mazonis on the tables, that the Mazonis should be covered. But then he brings from Rav Shlomo Zalman, with all due respect to, to the river Besefraim, I'm much more uh, enamored with the with Rav Shlomo Zalman's general Mahalach, and, and this t t detail is not an exception. Rabbi Shlomo Zalman says that if you have a Kiddush and the people at the other end of the room, they are not, they have, well, then he says they're not going to have wine in any case. So they don't have to cover their Mazonis. Because if it's got to do with why do you make a brock on him and not on him? Well, that's only for the one who's making the Hagofen and or drinking but if they have wine. But if they're not having any wine, then they do not need to cover their Mazonis. And so that's a practical thing that where they near the people who are making Kiddush on wine, then the Mazonis should be covered. Um, what about if you're making Kiddush on other liquids? Should you be covering the Mazonis? There is a smora that it should be. And he brings here Loshan. One of the reasons for covering the Chalas is. We're only going to um, reveal the, the the Shabbos food once we've made Kiddush and we said already Shabbos. So then we're going to then expose. Oh, now we've got food to cover Shabbos. Well, is saying that's particular, that's more at the nighttime Kiddush rather than the daytime Kiddush because the, you don't say the Baruch and Shabbos in the in the day. You just say Bei Okay. So according to, just to take that, just uh, assess that, that uh, according to this Svara, if you're making Kiddush on, not on wine, then, wait a minute, then you should still cover it. All the more you should cover the the, 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 the um, Zionists because of Shilayir Yerbeboshte. Why are you making a Shahakal instead of a Zionist first? Yeah, okay. So, so no, so no difference. So well, in conclusion to that, which I'm assessing at the moment, that also if you're making Kiddush on Shamar Medina, you'd also, even by day, you'd still cover the, the Mazinus, which is right near you. Right, let's move on. So someone's asking whether the hot plate, which nowadays many of us have instead of the traditional blech, and as you know, the word blech is a Yiddish word for tin, so we would cover the Torah in the Shulchan Aruch, the Mishnah talks about grufo ktuma, that in order as a deterrent that you shouldn't come to tamper with the the fire in the stove, so you'd have to either cover it, that's called ktuma, cover it with soot or with ash, or to rake it out. So the covering of the stove with a sheet of metal, that's the equivalent of ktuma, of covering the fire with, with ash. 
very well. Now, what about um, a plug-in? So there's nothing covered. So the general view taken is that that's the same. It's it's the same as the blech. And what is, since it's got no, well, it's not normal to cook on it. And there's nothing to adjust either, which is another, another consideration. Therefore, it's okay to it's okay to just plug it in and use that as your equivalent of a blech. Now, um, in, in the Piskei Shuvas, he writes similar, that gen the general view is that you, that's fine, just plug it in, that's good enough. Since it's not used for cooking, only to warm up or to keep things warm. But uh, there are those who would put a sheet of silver foil or something over the plug-in hot plate but minigar oil on the general consensus is not so and that's that's good enough let's move on uh number six which i don't have on the on the uh i don't have on the screen number six i was last week i went to a hardware store on old hill street and i bought two glasses for forthcoming forthcoming chasinus um so he had the uh, guy behind the counter says, uh, don't you don't disable them. Uh, so I told him that we use the cup actually, because in the veld, many people, they use a silver cup for the brochas, and then they take another glass and they break it separately. I told him our meaning is we use the actual glass for, for the brochas and for wine, for drinking. And afterwards we empty, you know, have someone to drink it and we break that glass. Okay. So, but then it also was, again, we had this past week, I was at a course of um, training for Siddha Kiddushin, and it came up this question, does, is there a chiv to toivel the glass? So there is a, a, people know that a disposable, disposable dishes, people are not particular to toivel, but that's not, the disposable dishes themselves, they are, in quality, a poor quality, they are disposable in quality, not only in, so to speak, in intent. Here, the glass is something which you're going to have for years, and it's just your intent is to break it, to, to, to use it only once. So, Vipashtas, it does need to be tailed with a brocha. Although I saw now, as I was rummaging around, I saw that in, when they say for Psochim and Chubis, he brings, he recommends to table it without a brocha. Whilst we're talking about this, there is a, as we know, every Shabbos, before you make Kiddush, you make sure to rinse out the cup. And so also the one which is used under the chuppah should be rinsed out before using it under the chuppah. Because it is a Kos and you have a whole list of criteria for Kos and one of them is that it should be rinsed before. Let's move on to the next question. So here we have a Shliach who, Baruch Hashem, is in a fortunate position that if he's small in a small town, several of the um, local balabatim, whatever, have clubbed together and they've bought a building. And as is as is common in that part of the world, that the zoning would have that the various places of worship would be all all together. So you have I know I've seen that also in Detroit. You have uh, the shul. And then you have the Havdala church, and you may have a mosque nearby, and the the uh, the zoning is that they all come together. So 
in this zone, in this worship zoning, his Balabatim Chabad purchased a building, and this has got several units. Some of them are still used for commercial, but you can use them for worship if you wish. And one of the tenants happens to be a mosque. So now the question is, am I allowed to, as a landlord, have a mosque as a tenant? That was the question. So there's a difference between Islam and, Christ and Christianity. It's perfect time of the year to be discussing this. Huh? So now we have in the Alter Rebbe's Aruch in Simon Kuf Chof Ches. That's all about Birkas Koyanim. So in Sifnud Aleph, you can see it on the screen. Koyin Shehemir Dosoy. If a if a, a Koyin had converted, defected from Yiddishkeit, even if he became he converted to Islam, which is not idolatry, he has been penalized to be um, uh, downgraded from his Kedusha. Therefore, he will not be duchening you wouldn't give him the first aliyah if he hasn't done tshuva if he did do tshuva even if it was he had converted and committed to a faith of Avedezorah now he's relented okay so why I brought this here is meanwhile that the view that Islam is not Avedezorah now, what would happen if one of the tenants was actually a church? Uh, and going into all the details, but let's say it's a church which does have icons, etc. So now, this is there. There, there is a here. There's an issue that you mustn't be. You're not allowed to accommodate a vedazara. And so, to have an vedazara brought into your premises is not okay. And this you have in Shukhan Aruch in Yeridea. You can see in Simon Kufnun and Aleph. This on the right of the screen. When you are permitted to rent out premises, a room, a house, to a, to a goy, that's only for storage. You wouldn't be allowed to rent out for dwelling. Because the guy will bring in his getchkes, his icons, his idols, and that's going to be in your in your house. You're accommodating those idols. That's the shita of the mechaber Rabbi Yosef Kara. Change the font. That's another amor. Nowadays, it's customary to uh, to rent out to goyim even for dwellings. Even shein noyagin lahachnis. Because it's uh, not common for bring for people to bring getchkes to bring icons into their homes. So far, this would be if that's true, that would be an, enough of a heter for a, a domestic dwelling. But if it were, if your tenant was a was a place of worship, I don't think that heter would carry carry uh, true. Now. Now let's now the Yud Zion is a reference to the Shach on the on the margin, which you have now on the left of the screen. 
So the Ramod said, why are you allowed to have Goyesha tenants? Because it's not common for them to bring Getchkes, to bring idols into their homes. So the Shach says, Kosha, I don't understand. I've seen that it's a regular thing and people have, Goyim have these icons in their homes. And it's difficult to say that because the Goyim now are not authentic idol worshippers, therefore they, the idol is not an authentic idol. Then he goes on to suggest, perhaps in the times of the Ramor, which was so not much longer, not so much before him, well, a hundred years before, whatever. Perhaps in those times, it wasn't so customary for Goyim to bring icons into their homes. But then, he, but then he's, uh, but then he says, I have a different explanation. What's the issue that you shouldn't, you shouldn't be accommodating? Who now owns? this home is it your home and he says the following it's true that our view in halacha is that a rental is not a purchase however but in the civil in the civil law and we are bound by their law and in their law a rental contract is just as strong as a sale. To the point, the Afim Nofal Let's say in Halocha, if I rented out premises to someone and then I myself became homeless. So then the the Halocha allows me to evict my tenant so that I should and, and, and I take it back for myself. Because I it doesn't make it doesn't seem to be morally correct that I should be homeless when I have a tenant who's occupying a property of mine. In civil law at that time, that wouldn't carry. And if your house fell down, you wouldn't be able to evict your tenant. If the, therefore, the contract of rental is so, so uh, binding, so solid, that you wouldn't be allowed to evict the tenant during the period of, te of tenancy, habi kebecher. Therefore, it's like you've sold it. Once you've sold it, then you cannot be held to count for accommodating a bit as well. It's not your house. It's been rented out, and therefore it's not yours, not your premises. So that's the terrets which the Shah gives. That why is it okay to rent out premises to, uh, to a tenant who will bring a bit of Zara? Because it, a, a rental is in, in civil law like a like a, a sale and therefore it's not your no, it's not you're not accommodating that redesire then he brings another very interesting explanation he brings from the ravon also one of the mid rishonim and he says that this is interesting that since you didn't have to give pay rates you you you, you have land but you have to pay rates to the government so then it's not exclusive your premises if you have to pay rates, so then we'll say that according because of this, it means that 10%, whatever the rate may be, it doesn't matter. But as a result, it's not exclusively yours. It's partly be like clearly belonging to the government. And as a result, you're not accommodating the Vedazar. It's the it's the Goisha um element which is accommodating the Vedazar. So this is an interesting twist on this. Um so all right. So if it but, but uh, to, to have to have a, a church 
as a as a tenant. So according to the Shramor, it wouldn't be allowed because his whole excuse is because it's not common for them to bring bring in uh, Gechkas. According to the Shach, there seems to be a little bit more. Um, there seems to be some some room to allow it. Certainly, uh, one, if you if you got the property with a sitting tenant, which is a which is a church, you're going to have a difficult um, task to to get get them out. It'd be you know, diplomatically, it would be quite a difficult thing to do. Right now, well, I've been asked this numerous times about you. Uh, yeah, and you go you go into a hotel room and you open a drawer and you see there. A, uh, a a book which of Christian worship, etc. Are you allowed to leave it there, etc.? So now we have the end of that sif, if you notice, which I didn't read before, and that's what you have on the screen. Now, soicha bias me goy. If you rent premises from a goy, yesh lahachmer shaloylahaniach shom avedazora shal goy. You can rent a room, and inside the room there's a getchke of some sort. So you should be machmu not to leave it there. Now, reading those words, yesh lahachmi, you have to read this carefully. It means that min haddin, it's okay to leave it there. But it's better to take it away. The source of this psaq is from the Hagos Oshri, which we're going to read now. Rebbe Ephraim Yitzchak says that if a Jew rents a house from a goy, the Jew is not allowed to leave the Avedis Kachov, not allowed to leave the idols in place. For that matter, if he rented a cow, let's say an ox, and if he had driven the animal with a burden on Shabbos, so then the Jew is punishable, Chayuchatos, because Schidus because your rental becomes like yours. Now, here's just the opposite of what we just read. You just read that, no, well, actually not. It, we were saying that the, the rental is becomes like an ownership. So here, the Rabbeinu Ephraim is saying, when you rent premises, it's as if you own the premises, and therefore, if there's a, a, an, an idol, so you are accommodating this idol. If you rent an ox, so it's, it becomes yours. If it's yours, your animal's not allowed to work on Shabbos. I just find this where he says the word chayav chatos. I find that difficult because there's no chi of chatos. There's there's, there's lama tes for which for which you are uh, if you violate them, skila and b'shoget b'chayim chatos. But then mechamer l'man yonuach shorcha b'chamirecho. We alusa say and I say, but it's not chayim chatos. Doesn't have to bring a cause. No skila, no no korban chatos. So that's curious. But meanwhile, so he's taking this. Rebbe is taking a view. That by renting a premises it becomes yours, and therefore you're accommodating a vidzara there. Ve'ein nira, <clears throat> the hagos, the well hagos ashri. This he always ends up where he's got it from. This is from the sefer Ozarua, Rabbi Yitzchok of Vienna. So he says ve'ein nira. I don't, I don't buy it. Uh, that you're renting doesn't mean that you're becoming a balabas, and because in halacha rental is not a, not an ownership. Okay, you should, it's should be careful about it and avoid leaving. So, if you rent premises and there is an Aveda Zara there, so then you should, if possible, take it out and put it away. Now, the question here is practically, people have asked me this question you come to a hotel and, and what are you going to do with that thing? 
um, to go now and get rid of it, I, I think you're you're risking um, that uh, it'll become known that Jewish tenants they uh, destroy the uh, books of other worship in the hotel rooms. I don't think that's a good idea to be able to you know to get publicity on that. On the other hand, it's not comfortable to have it in your bedroom. I don't know. I would and and, and to take it away and put it back, I don't know, it's difficult. I would say perhaps leave it in the bathroom. I don't know whether that, that how that would go down, but uh, just leave it where it is. I don't know. Difficult one. Right. Yeah. Let's move on. Number nine. May I prune a fruit tree? So this I did find um, in. I found I have a safer called Shmir's Gufa Nefesh. Very good safer. All these stuff which have got to do with um, health issues, as in, uh, how do you say, in Ruach Ro, etc. And as we know, the issue of removing, of chopping down a fruit tree. So, um, so that's, that's it's written down in the Torah. But then, if it's if it's more economical for wood than for than for fruit, you are allowed to demolish it because it's not like baltashchis; it's not being wasteful. And still, there's an element of sakona. So generally, we're very very careful about this union of not chopping down a fruit tree. But he does bring here from a sefer called Chikrelev, who addresses this. That that's all very well if it's done in a destructive way, but if it is for propagation for pruning, then that's not a problem. Now, anyone who learns a bit of Mishnayas, you see that they it was very common to you have a din, you have a whole halacha about a kerem, about a vineyard which is planted, the trees are too, too close to one another. And so, as far as Kilaim, it says because it's, it's destined to be removed. It was a perfectly normal thing that to plant um, saplings near one another. And then uh, at a later stage to, re to replant them. And so pruning is also comes under propagation. And that's not, that's not destructive. And so it's not really a shayla at all. So that's okay. All right. Now, the next question which I have on the list is Adova HaPoshot, but just for the entertainment value, that uh, a person asks me that his way, he is, let's say, in, in uh, New York for Shabbos. Uh, sorry, uh, he is away from his family. Let's say he is in Los Angeles and his family are in New York. And just before Shabbos in Los Angeles, he looks on his phone, his smartphone, and he sees that the child in New York, the, well, the crockpot wasn't switched on. So he's got a smart socket and he can see from hundreds of miles away and he can switch it on. So is he allowed to switch on the chont when for him it's not Shabbos and for the other people it is Shabbos, for the people who are going to eat the chont? And the answer is obviously yes, it's a Padova And this is, you know, this is uh, years ago when we used to have faxes, fax machines. So this was a common Shiloh. Are you allowed to um, send a fax from a place where it isn't Shabbos to a place where it is Shabbos. And so we used to get faxes on Friday evening 
from New York when Bayasa was already Shabbos and it was sent out from New York when it's not Shabbos yet. And the fact that the, the man in, in New York is going to be activating a printer in London, that's not a problem because it's for Shabbos goes according to where the person is and for him it's not Shabbos, that's not a problem. There is a different problem I think we may have discussed that for me to ask someone to do this for the people in in uh, someone in new york to ask someone in california can you do a malacha for me when it's for me it's a ready shabbos that's a different problem there's a problem of shlichus and uh, um, i'm struggling with that the people are not so careful about this but there seems to be an issue how can i have someone my hands i'm sitting in new york already uh, making kiddush and my hands, my extension of my hands are in California, are doing a malocha. It's, uh, it's, it's my hands. At a long, for me, it's already Shabbos. Okay, let's move on. So, common question about using my money to buy Sfarim. So, the, 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 um, the, the idea of giving my to mention the Shechon and this is seen as a budget for tzedakah. Basically, Meister is a budget for tzedakah. How much are you expected to help the mitzvah to help other yidden? How much are you expected? So you've got a ceiling of Meister. Okay. Um... Now, the way it's written in Shechon is that you are um, allowed to use Maise money for other mitzvahs also. Not only for Tzedakah, but also for other mitzvahs, which are voluntary mitzvahs. So I cannot use my Maise money to buy myself a mezuzah, to buy myself to fill in, to buy myself shabak, wine for Kiddush, that I cannot use. It's all very beautiful and holy. But it's not for um, um, it, this is it's a duty. It's, it's my duty. I cannot use. I cannot use. By, by the way, you know, there's a very important mitzvah which some people neglect. There's a mitzvah to pay debts. Hey, priyas balchoyv mitzvah. It's a mitzvah to pay debts. So someone might think, oh, it's a mitzvah to pay for debts. I owe money. I'll use my maaser money to pay debts. And you ain't odom of You can't pay debts with maaser money. So mice can only be used for voluntary mitzvahs, right? So now let's take a look here in the dinim of tzedakah. So we have here from the Shach and Sifkot and Gimel and Simon uh, Reish Memtes. He quotes from the Mashal and the Drisha in the name of Meirenu Rav Menachem Meil Tzedek. That was his name. And a mitzvah which comes your way. So let's say to be a sandik or to be um, bring a chosn and kala under the chuppah. It looks like perhaps people would pay for the privilege of of being the omtefirah for a kala, chosn and kala, let's say they didn't have parents, so they would pay for the wedding and they would also be honoured to be the omtefirah. And then he says, you see, you can use the omaisa for that, and he says also to buy sforim, lil moed bohemen, to learn from them, and also to loan them to others, to learn from them. 
אם לא היה בחוילס ויודוי ולא היה עושה מצווה, יוכל ליקנס מן המעשה. Here's a very important point, that this is all true if you don't have the means to do that mitzvah otherwise, then you can use your maise money. So it's not a free-for-all. This idea of using maise money for, for voluntary mitzvahs, well, so then this is because you, assuming that you don't have the ability to use regular funds, so then you're allowed to use your maise money to buy sforim, and you're going to use this sforim for learning. Even that, and so now here there's this Psochim and Shubas, which qualifies that. Now that's true, only Sforim, which you need for learning, and without your Maisa money, you wouldn't have been able to buy them. To buy Sforim just to fill your shelves, there's no mitzvah. Ambos are Shum mitzvah. Other Rabbe, the contrary, it's a disgrace for the Sforim, they're standing embarrassed in the, in the cupboard and not being used. I'm not sure whether the Rebbe would agree with that. The Rebbe pushed for buy small Sforim. And, uh, you know, there's always this, oh, this famous story of Tzimach Tzedek, the Rebbe Marash, how do you use this for him, which you have already? And the Rebbe pushed, there should be plenty of Sforim in the houses, and hopefully that will spur people to use them. But that, that's true. But to use my money for Sforim, which just to build up your library, that doesn't seem to be okay. We're only talking about Sforim, which you actually need for your learning. Now, in this question, can you use my money for other mitzvahs or only for stalker. As I said, the Ramos says you could use it for other things that others disagree. Here we have a very interesting um, kind of source in the Alter Rebbe's Siddha in say the Birchasanenin. The rule is if you have a, a celebration of a simcha which is just your own, the Baruch is Shechiyono. If it's a shared simcha, the Baruch is Hatayva Hametiv. So now we have the following a fellow found a treasure trove. So then he would make the brocha hatoiva hametiv. Why is it a shed? He found treasure trove for himself. The answer is because now that he's become wealthier, so then the poor of his community will also, he's now become of greater means. So therefore he will be uh, obliged to help his community that much more. Now, whatever what the case of someone who inherited is is uh, a fortune, and there we said The answer is there. That's not a toiva for Aniyah Yisrael, because first of all, the father was also obliged to give tzedaka to the Aniyim. Now, so now, as far as wealth in the community, father had half a million pounds, and now the son has the half a million pounds, the community hasn't become any wealthier. It's just that it's been transferred from one to the other. I, on the, you can say that now he has an, inherited a half a million pounds, now he has to give a lot of miser money, but the miser money, the, the son would have been able to spend it on other mitzvah expenses, not necessarily for the poor, and therefore it's not an inevitable that the poor will benefit from from the fact that he now has a duty to give Maisa. So we see the Altarebbe here has accepted that shitta, that you can use the Maisa money, not necessarily for the poor, but also for other communal needs or for other mitzvah needs. Right. Um, someone put here a very good point. I'd mentioned about putting that book in the uh, in the bathroom. And, uh, often the case is 
that it's you're talking about something which has the Tanakh and it has the uh, the uh, whatever you call it, the testicle, whatever. So then um, that that would, but to put them in both in the bathroom would not be appropriate. Yeah, I, I take your point, and therefore, I guess just leave it where it is and uh, just ignore it. Thank you for pointing that out. Let's move on. To, I think the last point which we have on the list for today is about an Oren Kodesh. So does an Oren Kodesh need to have a door and a curtain? So in the Sharit Shuva, that's the commentary of the Shuchan Aruch in the Dinim of Beis Akneses. So he quotes from the Sefer Charles Hashua Zere Emes. Zere Emes was an Italian postic about 300 years ago. And he discusses that even when you have a very beautiful door of the Oren Kodesh, you should still have a parochus, you should still have a curtain in front of it. Which, by the way, isn't I, I've seen places where they don't have it. Um, I was in a Tunisian show in Paris several years ago. They just had these metal doors, very beautiful, but they did not have a curtain. Perhaps they had a curtain inside, I don't know. Here the question is the other way around. So Zera Emma says, in addition to doors, you need to have a curtain. Here the fellow says, I have a curtain, do I need to have a door? My feeling is that you do need to have a door. Because the Sefer needs to be in, in a chest, in a box. I call it an Orenkaidish. That's the kind of protection you can have for very short term. You can have it just wrapped in a talus. But that's very... Um, uh, that's for short term, but really it should be in a box. I think a box without a front door is not a is not called a uh, is not called a box. It's it's open. It's exposed. Right? So you got a curtain in front, but that I don't I don't see it as a proper oren if it doesn't have a a door. Right. Um, someone's suggesting that the whole book is Nas and Nevela. I don't know. We went doctors. I just want to finish off. It's um, the, today was my Yomer letters. And I was uh, thinking of something which uh, tried to do a reshofer. Now, there is this, this, this weekly shear is aired on the website called anash.org. That's an aired weekly. And since the Kinos HaShluchim, anash.org have started producing a magazine. Now, I've for years been um, looking at the concerned about the fact that there is a Kfar Chabad magazine for the Hebrew readers, but a reader, a, an English reader, a regular magazine, there hasn't been uh, for years. Uh, there is the Nishay newsletter, which comes out periodically, but that's focusing also on Noshim. Um, then you have the Der Hare, which is a beautiful monthly, which has got a lot of interesting token. It's focusing very much on the Rebbe, the Rabbeim. It doesn't necessarily have articles which will kind of be, uh, you know, addressing contemporary issues. Which um, I think there's, I think there's a value in such a kind of thing uh, that people can can read and perhaps have even letters to the editor, etc., to to address contemporary issues of which of the Chabad community. And um, I see this as a welcome thing that that, that there should be a, a weekly, uh, a weekly. Um, and so they are. This is what they they're looking towards, not just 
Chazora of what was been on the website, or, you know, the news on the website for the past week, but also to have Tochendik articles, which you can also sit on Shabbos and whatever, with a cup of tea and read them. So I, I would like to uh, promote this, that uh, it should be available in uh, in the uh, UK, and uh, hopefully I'll be able to work out something in uh, prices, etc., how the people can get uh, their uh, subscriptions and how it should come in like the Der Herr is, dis is distributed here, people pay subscriptions instead of everyone getting in the post individually, which is much more expensive. It comes in a, a package, and each you know each Chabad community, someone will give it out to the people there and to the subscribers. So I'm thinking on the similar lines, and if, so if there's an interest, uh, hopefully, so to try to promote this Taibas uh, Anash. So I wish you a good book, and we should hear Besurus Taibas. And the Ikem Besura Besoyrus Hagula Simchas Olam Al Rishon Agutavach. 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 Agutavach.